This is the Life Truth Network. Quest for our truth. Episode 429. Quest for Truth. Presented by Protectorate Productions and HPN, Heltsley Podcast Network. Now located at life-truth.com. And now, here are your hosts. If these guys were in the woods, squirrels would drag them up a tree. Keith Heltsley and Nathan Caldwell. Hey everybody, welcome and welcome. This is Quest for Truth, and I am your host today, uh, Keith. And not doing a solo episode, I do have a special guest. He'll be here in just a moment. Uh, and he told me he could invest about a half an hour of his time. So uh, uh, I, I, I kind of know where this is going to go <laughs> because it's pre-recorded content. Uh, but we just discussed some of our July themed Independence Day month topic uh, on the, the U.S. government and the Constitution. And we are going to discuss uh, some of the source material for that, some of the uh, history behind it. Uh, some of the fake history behind it. Uh, I, I don't want to give away too much. It's kind of a general random discussion. This kind of meanders throughout. Kind of hard to outline or describe. So anyway, with that, uh, let me uh, bring out some folks from the Christian podcast community, which we are a part of and happy to be a part of that. Uh, uh, honored and humbled that they would have us in. <laughs> But hey, here we are. Uh, and anyway, you'll hear from some voices there that sound like these. Did you know that Striving for Eternity provides speakers and seminars that we would come to your church and disciple your people? We have seminars on the Bible interpretation made easy, creation science, evangelism, presuppositional apologetics, even on sexual abuse. These are just some of the many things that we could provide for your church. Consider inviting one of our speakers to your church. You can contact us at speaker at strivingforeternity.org. If the practice principle is vital for teaching such morally neutral tasks as tying shoes, how much more important is it for training children in Christ-like character? This is Yvette Hampton, host of the Schoolhouse Rocked podcast. Join us each week for a new episode as we offer encouragement and resources on biblical discipleship from popular speakers and authors, as well as parents just like you and me. Find out more at schoolhouserocked.com or listen anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Main topic. We do have a special guest in the studio, and that would be Darby the hamster. And that guy she's always getting woke up by when he talks in front of her so much. <laughs> Just uh, kidding around. Uh, we have a squirrel from. Uh, uh, wow, my mind just went blank. Sorry. Squirrel chatter. <laughs> Squirrel chatter. How could I forget that? Yeah. Hi, Keith, how are you? Well, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, my, I'm just sorry my mind went to pieces there all of a sudden. I had all that mentally scripted out, and I just forgot. <laughs> well, Darby is napping right now, so she's uh, yeah. she's she's right here over my right shoulder in yeah. her micropalatial hamster habitat. If only we had video going. I yeah, do that. Video. yeah. Well, actually, she's not on camera the way I got my camera set up. It's okay. The background of my camera is Fiona the mouse's habitat. We don't so, want to be internet uh, hamster stalkers and watch yeah, our sleep. Exactly. Around. Yeah. I got, <laughs> I got, I got multiple rodents in the office right now because I acquired a mouse a few weeks ago. Uh, well, I, I know, well, I should say, I don't know if my sister actually listens to your podcast, but she does listen to mine and she heard, heard the promo that I play on the podcast sometimes. And she always gets a kick out of hearing that you recorded in front of a live studio hamster. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, 
So anyway, I thought I just wanted to include all that so that you got started well, here. Thank you for thank you for promoing Squirrel Chatter. I appreciate it. Yeah, I like to promote all the folks that are on the Christian podcast community. As many as I can. <laughs> well, I appreciate it for sure. There's I don't know that we have all that big of a following, but we got a pretty fair amount, I suppose. <laughs> uh but yeah, I wanted to invite you on to talk a little bit about uh the US government. Uh this being the month of July, uh coming off of our infamous uh, month of June. I decided <laughs> all my episodes this month would be about uh you know, US Independence Day and Constitution, that kind of a thing. Yeah, it's a good theme for the month. And uh, I know it's not exactly a, a gospel topic, but uh, we like to do worldview topics and look at uh, what the world uh, sees truth and where they get it wrong sometimes. Uh, and we do live in a government where the, it's, I, I always get in trouble when I say it was, it's not a Christian nation. Right. People like to and say, it yes, isn't. it is. I'm like, well, yeah. technically it's not, but you're right. Uh, it was founded on Christian ethics. Because no, without Christian knows. ethics, it wouldn't work. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Greg Frazier at uh, Masters University in California has done a lot of work on the religious beliefs of the founders. And they were, by and large, not evangelical Christians, but they also weren't the deists that the the liberal secularists want to claim that they were. For the most part, they were what he calls rationalistic theists. And the basic idea was that they all believed in a God, and they believed in divine providence, but they were, it was kind of a you know, not quite a, a true biblical Christianity. Some of them certainly were Christians. Um, some of them were probably what we would consider today atheists or at least agnostics. But the vast majority of them had a biblical worldview, even if they didn't actually have saving faith in a true understanding of theology. So that biblical worldview certainly... Um, heavily influenced the creating of our government. So there is a Christian foundation to the government, even though, you know, Christianity is always in the minority in any culture. Right. And uh, it, it, it seems that um, among the uh, Americans in the early well, the early days, there was a, a pretty a solid background of that. I mean, I read recently that you know, all, all the states, all the early colonies were founded by you know, churches from you know, Presbyterians to uh, Congregationalists to you know Puritans. Uh, they all started with a good church-backed foundation. Uh it, it just didn't last long in some cases. <laughs> right. Well, even then, I think that when you look at uh, especially Reformed Europe, from the Protestant Reformation on, the areas of Europe that were Reformed had a much higher degree of literacy because of the emphasis of people reading the Bible for themselves and this was especially true in England. So you had a high literacy rate, and and the two most common books were the Bible and Pilgrim's Progress. So oh, yeah. you had, a, a, a like I say, these foundational Christian ideas were generally held by everyone, even if they weren't, in fact, true Bible-believing born-again Christians. So they, they had that same, you know, the basis of, of right and wrong, good and evil, um, that that permeated the culture from just that cultural. So, so I guess we, we talk about cultural Christianity, 
And that's really what we're talking about here. Um, I think in reading, you know, and thinking about Jesus's words in the Sermon on the Mount, that the 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 gate is straight and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few there are who find it. Um, it is an absolute um, reality that we have to accept that the vast majority of people are not born again Christians. You know, few there are that find it. So when we look at these polls that come out, uh, gosh, when I was a young man, it was like in excess of 90% of Americans said that they were Christians. And now we look at the fact that, you know, I think it's down to in the high 70s, but that's still way too high for the actual count of Christians. Because if 70% of the American people were actual born-again Christians, we wouldn't have the month that we just suffered through in June. <laughs> you know, we wouldn't have legalized abortion, gay marriage, Pride Month. None of that would be taking place if the country was, in fact, 70% Christian. Um, yeah, I've heard numbers like that before where 90% claimed the title of Christian. And if you dig into the polls more at the time, like 70 ish, they were more what you would call evangelistic believing Christians. And these days it's like you said, 70, but the believing evangelistic Christians are somewhere like the 50 to 60 percentile. <laughs> I think that's even too high. That could be. Yeah. I think it's, I think, you know, the, the vast majority of the people in the churches I don't think you're saved. So if you're just looking at the churchgoers, you might get, you know, there's in our area, I think the average, you know, church attendance every week is probably less than 10% of the population. And even among those, I think a lot of them are not Christians. So it's, it's a, you know, the, the cultural Christianity that has permeated America from the beginning and did did and still does to an extent have a heavy influence on the American worldview um the the number of actual born again Christians I think is is much much lower than even the vast majority of church attenders and I think that is you know God works in remnants there's there's never been a majority Christian culture. Um, I, I think about the, I've been going through Deuteronomy, and I think about the the Israelites that actually experienced the Exodus. They saw the plagues on Egypt. They ate the manna in the wilderness for 40 years. They crossed through the Red Sea when God parted the waters, they lived all that. And the writer to the Hebrews says that they died in the wilderness in unbelief. Right. Uh, and, and in so some cases, they wanted to go back to Egypt because they, they wanted, perceived yeah. that they had it better. <laughs> uh, yeah. And they had they had directly experienced all of those miracles. And, I mean, they had, they had seen the plagues on Egypt, <laughs> The, the things we only imagine as we watch Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, yeah. they actually witnessed firsthand, so, and, and they didn't believe. So I, I think it's a, you know, the, the, the people, the actual true people of God have always been a very small number compared to the population of the earth or the population of any particular nation. That doesn't mean that there isn't an influence. So we had, you know, when America was founded, you had, you know, 16, 1700 years of Christian influence in Europe. And that did have a huge effect because the, the basic understanding of the world was biblical. And that influenced that 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 was one of the streams of influence on the founding of the nation. 
The other was Enlightenment rationalism. So there is still a blending of, of you know, the biblical and the secular in the founding of America. And and in the... the now, when it comes to uh, education, let's say, uh, I mean, these days, we had been talking earlier, I think it was before it got recording, uh, is that they don't really teach the government in class in school today. And in some of the things I've been reading lately, uh, it would indicate that our government, when they established our educational system, the two main points of the curriculum was that students needed to learn the Constitution and they needed to learn the Bible. Uh, even mm -hmm. something this morning that I was listening to uh, made a similar thing that uh, even going back to the, the Hebrews, you mentioned Deuteronomy, uh, they were to learn to talk about the gospel, not the gospel, talk about God, you know, at home, when they're out on the road, when they're working, when they're at leisure, they were to always be talking about godly things. Exactly. And uh, in our education system, that was the two core things is Bible and Constitution, because how can you be a good American if we don't know the American system? And how can you be a good ethical, moral person if you weren't educated in Bible concepts? Exactly. Uh, and that seemed to be the norm up until middle of the 20th century sometime. Oh, I'd say before that, if you go back to the late 1800s, early 1900s, you had a a an actual push from the secularists to take over the educational system. Is, is that um, when uh, Dewey came on? Yeah, on John Dewey was early 1900s. And, That's what I thought he was early 1900s. Yeah, his, his big push, of course, the... Well, most people don't understand. High schools were designed to train teachers for grade schools. And so the only people that went to high school were to become teachers. So right. he actually invented the high school idea. And the whole start of the high school was to train teachers for the grade schools. And his curriculum and his entire idea, because he was an atheist and, and he was a secularist, he was actually a in a lot of ways, a communist um, before communism had a name, really. But he was pushing for to to get the students away from their parents and remove the parents' influence over the students to create a homogenous, government-approved uh, population. That was it. that was his whole push, and and uh, you know he was one of the drafters and signers of the first Humanist Manifesto, hmm. and so very much a denial of God, and and wanted to get the students away from the parents and reduce the influence of the parents in the lives of the students, and that's been the push. His push was not to take over the school system at first. His push was to train the teachers. Right. And we're seeing the result of that. Now it's finally gotten to the point. This is an interesting thing. Um, so much of what we think of as the, the liberal educational system and the liberal ideas in the colleges and stuff like that had been in the colleges since really the late 1800s in European education and in the in American higher education um but those ideas had not trickled down to the average people on the street the american populace probably learned more from you know, about their worldview from church attendance than they did from the educational system and these ideas had always been i mean these upper level academic highbrow stuff but then something changed. And what changed is in World War II was the, the introduction of the GI Bill. So you had a group of, of 
you know, these soldiers that came back from the war and they were given as a reward and as a thank you from the uh, a grateful nation uh, the chance to to take higher education. And so for the first time in in American history, you started to have large numbers of young people attending college. Now, the, the World War II generation, they were a little bit older when they got back from the war. They had all these experiences. They were already fairly cemented in their worldview. So they they learned this, you know, they studied the stuff academically, but it didn't really change their attitude on a lot of things because they were already set. They had already matured. But they were the generation that pushed their children, the the quote-unquote baby boomer generation, into college. So all of a sudden, that's why you have this huge leftist shift in American culture in the 1960s. These were the students of the, these were the children of the, the World War II generation and they were hitting college in their formative years when their worldviews were not fu as fully set as their parents had been when they went to college. And that's why they adopted all of these leftist views. And you ended up with the hippies and, and all of that. Well, you know, that baby boomer generation, and, and now we're a couple of generations past then, that influence has now trickled down to you know first grade so that we have i, I watched the some of the stuff i see online about teachers and they're talking about you know wanting to promote transgenderism and and homosexuality and everything to first and second graders and they're saying this openly on videos on the internet and all I can think of is a generation ago, none of these people would be allowed near children. Right. And now they're the educators. And so we've seen, you know. This... And, and they even shield that, of course, against right. parents. You can't tell your parents this. Right. And and part of that has been this, as this, as this shift has taken place, there has been a move away from teaching um government and history to teaching leftist philosophy and indoctrination to the point where when i was a student in high school when i got to to senior senior year we had our us government class i don't even recall that we had a textbook as far as i remember we spent all of our time in the Constitution and the Federalist Papers discussing what was written and what it meant and how the government was intended to function. And so, you know, I have a, I drew a great understanding of, you know, the, the, the divisions of powers, the, or, you know, separations of powers and, and the, the whole checks and balances that were designed into our government understanding that those checks and balances were designed to prevent tyranny you know that, that that no one branch of government and certainly no one individual would be able to dominate the government that, so that it would it would foster cooperation and moderate any tendency towards I've I, I got a, a question that yeah. uh, might be along this line. Something I recently heard, there was some kind of a poll that was done asking, uh, well, people who live in the cities uh, where Democrats have uh, ran things in the ground, uh, don't you think, why don't the people that live in those cities suddenly become Republicans if things are so horrible? And the response was that the people who are in the inner city don't see it as a Democrat-Republican problem. They see it as an American system problem. Right. They say this American system itself is broke. You should tear it down, burn it up, start over again. So I guess the, what I'm trying to arrive at is what would you say to somebody that would say the American system is broke, it's no good? 
uh, is not helping uh, something like that, you know? Right. I think the main thing is the fact that they are, they are not coming in with an understanding of how the American system is supposed to function. And so they do see, I mean, things are messed up. They, they really are messed up. And part of the reason is, well, <laughs> I, I saw a bumper sticker many years ago. I saw it in a, on a rack in a gas station, and I almost bought it. And I've kicked myself for not buying it. I don't put bumper stickers on my car, but I like bumper stickers, and I've got a, a few around my office and stuff. And I, I almost bought it. And I wish I had, but it said, the Constitution of the United States isn't perfect, but it's better than what we've got now. And I think that's part of the problem, is they look at how things are now without any understanding of how they were designed to be, so that they don't have an understanding of the government, you know, in, in in the words of Franklin Roosevelt, or not Franklin Roosevelt, Franklin uh, Benjamin Franklin, the you know a republic, if you can keep it, <laughs> you know they, right. they don't understand how that republic works, and they don't understand how we've lost it, in many ways. Yeah, I think that kind of nails it right there, because you know, like it's, my thought was kind of parallel in that that they haven't learned what the American system is supposed to be and how it is supposed to work and they don't understand that the reason the american system has failed them is because they haven't been participating in it (laughs) but how do you get them to participate in it is i guess a quandary right and many of them don't i mean i i i'm i don't know what the voter turnout was in the last election as far as eligible voters versus actual there's there's eligible voters, then there's registered voters, and then there's actual voters. And right. each number is smaller than the one before. You know, eligible voters would be any adult born in the United States plus any naturalized American citizens. That's that's your eligible voters. You know, that we're all, uh, adult Americans are eligible to vote. Of those groups, a smaller number actually register to vote. And then of those that are registered to vote, a smaller number actually vote. And I'm not sure of the numbers. I've seen them, but I have I didn't memorize them. But it's a it's a small percentage that actually vote. And yeah, I think historically the actual people could turn out as like in the 10 percentile. If it's a really important election, you might see close to 20 percentile. Yeah, that's, that's of the whole population. And, right. and so, you know, you don't have a participation. Because, and, and most people are not educated as to the issues at all. I, I always, you know, we just had Independence Day. And I remember I've seen several of these videos where some guy will show up on a beach with a camera and a microphone and starts just asking the people who are enjoying the day off on the beach for independence day, what we're celebrating. Right. And why. And they don't know, you know, most of it's the 4th of July. They don't know that the 4th of July is independence day. They don't know that we're celebrating America winning its independence from great Britain. They don't have, a real understanding of history at all. And so they, if they don't understand the history um, and the, the same people, you, you know, you ask them who the vice president is, they may or may not know. They may or may not know who the president is. <laughs> They're not paying attention. Some have this easier to forget than the vice president's name. I, I, I grant people that, but uh... yeah, <laughs> but like, you know, who's the, Who's the chief justice of the Supreme Court? Who's your governor? Who's your congressman? Who's your senator? So people, you know, they're not paying attention. They might not even know the name of the mayor of their city. Because you you had mentioned Independence Day, uh, 4th of July, uh, 
Now that, of course, would relate to America's constituting documents. This is what we refer to, you know, the birth of the nation. Right. So how is that different from uh, the 1619 project? Okay. <laughs> the the 1619 project was a flat-out distortion of American history. Um 1619. Well, is, let me put it this way: What constituting yeah. documents do we have from 1619 project? Uh, <laughs> they actually didn't have any. They did. Um, yeah the 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 1619 project was a was a paper, you know, a group of papers, a project that was put forth by secular liberalists in an absolute denial of of actual history. And it's a distorted view of history that basically says that America was founded solely and wholly upon chattel slavery of Africans. Um, right. And, and so, therefore, the, my, my point is, where is their constitution that specifies that? And who, who are the assigners and ratifiers of that? Right. And one Which of the of things, course the obvious answer is there are none and nobody. <laughs> right. Now there is a clause in the constitution. I'm gonna flip through it here and see if I can find it. But it's the, the two thirds clause. And yeah. everybody else said this is this is uh evidence that the the I thought it was a two fifth clause, but or three fifths, I think. Three fifths. Okay. Yeah. It's the the fact that a, a slave was to be counted as three-fifths of a person for the purposes of declaring uh, the population of a state for the apportionment of representation in Congress. And everybody says, well, this is they were they were looking at at the the slaves as three-fifths of a person, which was not, you know, it, it wasn't the the purpose of that was actually to reduce the influence of the slave states in congress it wasn't a statement of the valuation of any particular racial group because an emancipated black person would have counted as a full citizen it was only slaves that were counted as three-fifths of a person for the purpose of and, determining the number of of representatives that that state would have in the federal Congress, right? And the, the representatives, of course, would have been representing the free white people, exactly. And so the enslaved black person had no representative. So the South would be able to claim all those unrepresented people to throw their weight around. This is right. why and they so, had to reduce that. And so it was there to actually reduce the influence of the slave states. So that they wouldn't and, abuse the slaves so badly. So they wouldn't abuse and, and so they wouldn't, you know, dominate the government. Right. And it uh I I, I think there was a there really was a a large number of people in the constitutional convention that wanted to see slavery done away with it just wasn't politically possible at the time um i i don't think any of them foresaw that a hundred years later there would be a brutal war to flee the free the slaves um that but they were thinking that you know down the road through politics and persuasion we'll eventually fix this um, so I think there were a lot of people that, that viewed slavery as wrong. I mean, that's why you ended up with the Northern states not having slavery. They knew it was wrong. And I think you had a lot of people in the Southern states that knew it was wrong. Right. And there's right. even verbiage in our founding documents to indicate that they knew it was wrong and they were working to get rid of it right. as soon as they could, but it would take some time. But it would take some time. And like I said, I don't think any of them thought it would you know, take a war among the states. Um, that certainly wasn't envisioned by them. But they, they you know, the, the disapproval of slavery at the time was, was very evident. Um, 
just to look up here real quick, when was William Wilberforce in England? Um, because he was the William Wilberforce was the uh, English politician who um, worked to outlaw the slave trade, according you know, in in the English world. And of course, this was after the, the let's say he lived from 1759 to 1833, and he was the leader of the abolition of the slave trade. So, of course, this was after the the founding of the United States, but he worked tirelessly to end slavery in the remaining English colonies. And I think his, you know, the the the, the so the the idea that you know that this was a universally accepted and that it was one of the founding principles. Now it it it, it certainly was something we got from our English forebears. They brought slavery to our shores, um, and and slave labor was used, you know, throughout the South and the Caribbean in the the in the industries of the time, mostly agriculture, growing cotton and such, cotton and sugar cane, et cetera. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. I was thinking the other day that even the North had a form of slavery because the English would bring over the Scotsmen and others as slaves. Uh, there was indentured servants, but the point there is, is the indenturement was very loosely overlooked. And if the, the guy holding the indenture decided to keep you longer, <laughs> there was nothing to really stop him. And so you might have a, on paper, a time period, but in practice, you might be with that guy for uh, much, much longer or indefinitely. Uh, but, but people are, are quick to point to black slavery, but there was white people who were enslaved as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it, it but it was, uh, I mean, even in 17th century Massachusetts, you had slaves. So it, it was, you know, throughout the English world. Uh, not only throughout the English world, throughout most of the planet, <laughs> um, but it 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 was you know. Thankfully, the transatlantic slave trade was done away with, um, but it certainly wasn't the it wasn't among the ideals on which America was founded, and I do believe that the majority of the founders, at least personally. Did, did not approve of slavery. Um, you know, I I wonder if they saw it as being an English thing or a colonial thing, uh, because as I mentioned, there is verbiage in our Constitution and documents that, that you know, says all men are created equal and all men, you know, have these uh, unalienable rights right and i'm sure that all also they understood to mean uh, even the black man at the time uh, and you know people even here today you know colonization is bad and they point to being racist and i i've told somebody you know i, I as a modern american hate colonizations for the same reason you do because it uh it's a way for another country to come in and and basically uh, suck dry all of your natural resources and go away. <laughs> uh, and that's and yet, part of why the Americans revolted is it's like, hey, we're Americans. Uh, we're here and you're taking all of our stuff back to England. You know? And yet the attitude of the uh, of people against other nations that the, I'm, I'm thinking you know, the recent story about, you know, the uh, nation of Uganda that passed a, a law against homosexuality oh. and how the American president was so horrified that they would pass a law against homosexuality and trying to influence Uganda to change its law. And it's like that colonial attitude is still there. <laughs> We're the we're the progressive people. We know better. You should do what we think, and do what we want 
you know, they, they don't want to allow them to have their own independence and have their own ideas if their ideas differ from the the declared position of a Western government. Uh, so that that attitude of colonialism still exists. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, it uh, the uh, it, it is interesting. There were two streams of thought that went into our founding documents. When you read the Declaration of Independence, you're getting a, a Jeffersonian, uh, not that he was the only one, but as the drafter of the of the Declaration, he was the principal architect of the Declaration of Independence, and it was a a an an, uh, an enlightenment idealism. It's a very idealistic document. Not that it doesn't carry practical things in it, but it was it was it was a statement of high ideals, and that idealism, that same group of people that were behind the Declaration of Independence, were behind the Articles of Confederation, which didn't work. <laughs> Um, so that, you know, 1777, I believe, 77, 78, right, it was before the end of the war. So it was before York, the Battle of Yorktown. We're still fighting against the English for our independence. But they drafted the Articles of Confederation to establish the national government. And it only took about 10 years for them to realize that this very weak national government that they had established wasn't going to work. And so when the Constitution was drafted in 1787, it was a much different philosophy that drove that. Of course, Jefferson was out of the country. I believe he was in France. So he was not involved in the drafting of the Constitution. And the guys who drafted the Constitution, Hamilton, Madison, others, they were driven much more by a rational pragmatism. They wanted a government that was driven not so much on these high ideals, which in a lot of ways denied human depravity, <laughs> human sinfulness. Um, basically, the, the Declaration of Independence had the idea that, that basically people are going to do what's right whereas the Constitution has a much more practical understanding of we need to protect ourselves from people who will do what's wrong. And so the the Constitution itself is a much more practical and realistic down-to-earth document than the Declaration of Independence and the Articles of Confederation were. Um, I've been rereading the, the Federalist Papers um, actually reading it on Squirrel Chatter on Fridays. And uh, I, I do Federalist Fridays. So, you know, it, and it's it's reminding me of a lot of things because um, I haven't really read the Federalist Papers since high school. <laughs> yeah. Um, Where would a person find a, a copy of those on, online? Or Yeah, they're, they are online. Um, I actually have a, a link that I post in my show notes on Fridays. Let me see if I can find the uh, um, find that link real quick. Uh, pull it up here. Well, because uh, yep. I can definitely include it on our show notes here so people could yep. have a chance to click through and, and read it. Here it is. Uh, all right. It is https colon slash slash guides.loc.gov slash federalist hyphen papers slash full text. And that will give you all 85 federalist papers. All right. It's the Library of Congress. LOC is Library of Congress. So it's the Library of Congress website. So loc.gov. And uh, you can just type in federalist papers to the Library of Congress website, and you should find the full text of them. So, 
I think it's something that every every American should read and be familiar with. One of the things that that I find really interesting about the Federalist Papers and is the fact that yeah, this was a series of newspaper articles written after the Constitution had been drafted. They're written by Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay, who were principal architects of the Constitution. And these are written and published in newspapers at the time to urge the ratification of the Constitution. So, you know, these are written for newspaper consumption. And yet the language of them is so high compared to the, the reading level. The uh, I mentioned the literacy of especially the English-speaking people and the literacy of the American people was higher in colonial times than it is now. We've we've lost our ground there. Um, but the 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 general idea among Protestant America was that people need to know how to read so they can read the Bible for themselves. That was the driving force behind it, um, behind the the high literacy rate that began in colonial times and was definitely there at the time of the writing of the Constitution in 1787. So these articles written for the general public are written at a reading level much higher than you would see in a newspaper today because the people were better educated then than now. Right. There's a, a writing by a guy named Alexis de Tocqueville, uh, yeah. Democracy in America, written around the time of Andrew Jackson. Yes. And he, w one of the things he marveled at was the, the elementary school system in America, uh, that every kid got a free education and it was it made them very literate, especially through the elementary grades. He he also marveled that we didn't have much in the way of a college university system uh, at the time, but he was very impressed with uh, the American school system as it existed. Yeah, and and it was you know as as originally envisioned, it was fabulous. Um, I think a lot of our uh, a lot of our uh, um education system now needs to be scrapped and reconstituted but we always talk about the three r's reading writing and arithmetic right you know the the the, the you know literacy and mathematics as the the foundation for the education system we've gotten away from that so now it's all about you know the feelings and and it's all about these there's a lot of society uh, social studies culture exactly. like i said emotions yeah. and feelings it's like well, that's fine but where's the actual education <laughs> right and i think we've, we we're now you know the, the gosh it's been 40 years since why johnny can't read came out and it's just gotten worse mm -hmm. that we've gotten away from the purpose of education to you know, the, well, we've gotten away from the original purpose of education by following John Dewey's model of indoctrination, right. where they're they're trying to you know they don't want, and and by they you know in quotes starting to sound like some some raving conspiracy theorist, but the the liberal intelligentsia the the leftist secularists who have taken over our government and taken over our education system don't want truly educated people because they don't want people thinking for themselves and coming up with their own ideas. They don't want people who truly understand the historic basis of the American government, et cetera. So you have a, an, in, an education system that tells people what to think instead of teaching them how to think. 
And yeah, if you listen to teachers, they'll tell you the opposite. They'll right. tell you they're trying to teach the kids what to think, but it's like, no, actually, you're not. <laughs> you're not doing that. Yeah, and and that's why I said when I was when I was in high school studying American government, the Federalist Papers and the Constitution were our textbook, and that's what we went through. Just recently. I was a substitute uh, working as a substitute teacher in an American government class of high school seniors. It was around Christmas time, so we're halfway through the school year. They had not read the Constitution, and they did not even know what the Federalist Papers were. Hmm. And I'm wondering, how are you learning American government if you're not studying? the design of the American government. And it turned out that basically what the class focused on was current events. So they were looking at what the government is doing right now with absolutely no understanding of the foundation of how the government was supposed to work. And, so, and current events are indeed important. But yeah, they, they are a supplement to you need a foundation to understand them. Yeah. And one and for an example, because we were it was right right before or right after the I guess it would have been right after the 2020 election when this took place. So we had just had a federal election. And every one of those kids was all in favor of getting rid of the Electoral College. Yeah. But they had no understanding of why the Electoral College existed and what its purpose was, that it was designed to keep populist states from dominating the whole nation completely. They certainly have a larger influence because more people live there. But right. It it gives each state an equal say. In the early days, states like Rhode Island and Delaware were so small compared to larger states like Pennsylvania and New York that they, like I said, they didn't want to get bullied. Uh, they wanted to have the same weight to what they had to say. Right. Keith, where do you live? Uh, I live in Illinois, about okay. an hour from St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. You're, you're just an hour north of St. Louis. So within probably 100 miles of you, there's a million people, well over a million people. Um, St. Louis population is about 2 million uh, on the yeah. greater St. Louis area. Right. It is the largest population outside of Chicago, which has about 9 million. Right. And I'm, I'm in Montana. Montana is barely more than a million people in the entire state. Now, our state is almost the size of California. Montana is, I think, right around 20,000 square miles smaller than California. 20,000 square miles sounds like a lot, but when you're talking at this scale, it's really not that much. And we only have a million people. We we have two senators and two representatives. So our state has four electoral votes, whereas California has close to 50. Illinois probably has 30, 35 electoral colleges. Something like that. Yeah. So you still have a larger influence than Montana does. But those four votes that Montana has can make a difference in a close election. Whereas if you do away with the Electoral College, basically Southern California chooses our president. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or between the Southern California, East, New York, and, and Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> the East and West Coast choose our president. And the people in Montana, Iowa, Wyoming would have no say at all. You know, so the Electoral College was designed to, while it still proportions the influence of the states, it protects the rights of the least populous states by giving 
a, a weight to their vote that a, a straight up popular vote wouldn't have. And but the the people don't understand that. And and I'm dealing with high school kids in Montana. And it's like you realize if you do away with the electoral college, Montana gets no say in who the president is. And they can't they just can't grasp it. And the reason they can't grasp it is if you watch CNN, NBC, CBS, if you watch PBS, if you watch pretty much any of the national media, with the notable exception of maybe One American News and Newsmax, you get this totally leftist presentation. And the the secular leftists would like nothing better than to have these liberal cities on the East and West Coast choose the president every year. Because that would put them in charge all the time, and they would never have to worry about losing the White House. So it's a, it's a, the, the fact that we have a, a young generation of people who are not being taught just basic American history and basic American government is going to have really negative ramifications in just a very few years. Yeah, and, and it may not seem fair or democratic to have an electoral college and uh, have some lesser populist state uh, overthrow whatever. But they, like you said, they're, they're just not seeing it the way it was intended. And, you know, you have to remember each state is its own sovereign government. Exactly. If you're going to start saying, well, we're going to ignore everything Montana says. Well, maybe Montana says, well, maybe we should not be part of the USA, yeah. our own sovereign government. <laughs> and so the, the fact that the, the, um, the fact that the, the facts of how the government was formed and how it was constituted in the beginning, that's not being taught. And because it's not being taught, there isn't a foundation for understanding the current events that are taking place now where people, you know, like this, this whole thing with the, the student loan, uh, forgiveness thing that, oh, that man. President Biden's been behind. He, 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 this morning, I don't know if you read, he's, he's going to overthrow uh, the court's decision and do it anyway, even right. though the Supreme Court says he can't do it. It's unconstitutional. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's unconstitutional. He doesn't have the authority to do it. He's going to do it anyway. That's tyranny. That's a dictator. He has the power to, su to suggest illegal action, but it takes Congress yeah. to actually appropriate the funds and make it happen. Right. Uh, that's what a dictator does. That's what a tyrant does. Yep. And and it's it's just one of those things that you just scratch your head. And there's a the the entire idea of you know the the, the socialist communist Marxist ideals of you know, you don't have to take personal responsibility for anything. That that the government's going to take care of you. Um, it really is a secular idea that the government takes the place of God, where we are supposed to look it's to God. The government will solve all your answers and make all your dreams come true. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, it, it's it, it's one of those things where it's just a matter of of spreading out the the um the misery <laughs> you know it's not the, the it's it's I, I i always think about the fact that you know every time some sort of socialism or communism has been tried it's failed miserably and yet the socialists and the communists come back and keep saying well it just wasn't done right and it's mm. just like uh how many times do you have to fail before an idea is judged to be a failure and abandoned. You know, meanwhile, a, a free enterprise, free market capitalism has done more to lift people out of poverty than any other system. 
and yet you know that's the that's the the demon that they have to slay is commun is uh, capitalism yeah capitalism is the uh the, the evil and yeah. it's like wow you know it's all backwards that's really what makes america great is the free market system yeah. uh, but uh as much as there will be an awesome thing to go down we have been talking for a little bit longer than what i <laughs> oh, suggested we, have, we would we? do <laughs> look it over at my clock uh <laughs> yeah, I wasn't looking at the clock, but I kind of got the feeling my internal clock was saying I better check. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we we probably it's been uh, great just uh, going down these random roads. Uh, yeah, we we chased a lot of rabbits. I'm not sure uh, if we ever exhausted any topic, but we chased a lot of rabbits today. Yeah, but we'll have to do it again sometime. I I know uh, I'd like to talk to you sometime about maybe some church history. Uh, it's a topic that I've always wanted to, to dive into, but I've just never quite gotten around to it. Yeah, uh, well, not to. So maybe in the future sometime, and we'll try not to wake up Darby the hamster very much. <laughs> she's still sleeping. I can. All right. Yeah. Well, she, I'll go she's ahead. In a co- she she has a coffee cup. She sleeps in, so she's in her coffee cup. All right. She's got to have her morning coffee too. Huh? She's got to have her morning coffee, too. That's exactly <laughs> it. Well, oh, before I uh, hang up here, uh, let people know how they can find you on AirWet. All right. Yeah. Uh, Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community, so you can find us at christianpodcastcommunity.com. You can also just search for Squirrel Chatter Podcast. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble, and then... Uh, Search your favorite podcast platform for Squirrel Chatter, and you're sure to find us. All righty. Well, thanks again for making an appearance today. Glad to have you on. Glad to be with you. Ever wish you could get together with a friend over coffee each week and talk about God's Word? Me too. Hi, I'm Anthony Russo. I'm the host of Grace and Peace Radio. Grace and Peace Radio is a Christian living blog and podcast dedicated to engaging conversations about applying God's Word to everyday life. I hope you'll join me, Anthony Russo, on Grace and Peace Radio each week at graceandpeaceradio.com or right here on the Christian Podcast Community.org. Hi, I'm Sharon Wilharm, host of All God's Women podcast and internationally syndicated radio show. I'd love to invite you to join me as we bring to life the stories of women in the Bible and discover their relevance for our lives today. Listen at allgodswomen.com, your favorite podcast platform, or at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Are you just watching? You grab the popcorn, plant the family on the couch, and flip on the TV. But have you left your worldview behind? Media comes in all forms, and all of it contains some level of indoctrination. Are You Just Watching? The Entertained Christian's Handbook to Consuming Media with Purpose is a guided journal with worldview-shaping info and lots of guided note pages to help you watch and discuss anything you put before your family's eyes. Purchase it now on Amazon.com. And don't just watch. Hey, and thanks a lot there, Mr. Gene Clyatt. I bet you didn't think I knew your name. <laughs> Honestly, I, I didn't have to look it up. I know it. I hear it. Uh, it, it somehow, it doesn't always stick in my brain. I, it must be one of those getting old things. Anyway, uh, don't have a lot more to add. But then, as you can see, went over our uh, half an hour goal that uh, Mr. Client was so good to dedicate. And I'm even more happy we had the longer discussion uh, on the, the topic of uh, our American United States Constitution. And as people who live here, it is important to know that. This is important to know uh, our uh, scripture because that is, well, you might call that the Constitution of our eternal life. But while we're here, we need to be aware of the law of the land and uh, abide by its structure. Uh, so anyway, uh, we I think this might round out our month of independence if it don't i might have an extra tidbit to toss in here but if not um, 
I gotta check my calendar. <laughs> I don't have an Andy. But hey, coming up soon uh, will be another uh, Truth Exposed. Uh, and we may even have some other special things lined up uh, in the months to come. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening and thanks for uh, taking the time to invest in the whole long episode we have here. Anyway, uh, we'll see you next week and thanks for listening. Visit life-truth.com where you can find all our shows. Leave a message or call our voicemail number at 401-753-4844. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash life truth page. Follow us on Twitter at HPNCast, capital H, capital P, capital N, capital C, A-S-T. Everything Nathan Caldwell does can be found at facebook.com forward slash protectors of the book. Music in the show is used by permission of Kevin Zerby at zerbinator.wordpress.com. May God richly bless you. May you find everything you need. And if you don't know Jesus, your greatest need is a savior. Thanks for listening.